With thanks to Bailey's, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Zing Zing, your host once again for a brand new season of the Women's Prize podcast, coming to you every fortnight throughout 2020. This year is the 25th anniversary of the Women's Prize for Fiction, and you've joined me for a special episode in which we are challenging you to year of reading women. From Zadie Smith's White Teeth to Chimamanda Ngozi and DJ's Half of a Yellow Sun and Naomi Alderman's The Power, we are spotlighting all 24 Women's Prize winning books during this podcast series with eight special book club episodes in which three guests discuss three of the brilliant winning novels from the past years. You'll also hear from the women who've judged the prize during its lifetime, so you'll be getting not one but two hot takes from the past 25 years of the prize, alongside a new generation of readers coming to the books in 2020. And we want you to join in the conversation. Go to hashtag readingwomen on Twitter and Instagram to share your thoughts as you read along and head to the Women's Prize website at womensprizeforfiction.co.uk to learn about all 24 books, read samples, dive into our reading guides and exclusive interviews with the authors, plus lots more to help set you off on your reading journey. Today's guests are chef, best-selling cookbook author and sustainability champion Melissa Hemsley, radio producer, podcast host and writer Joe Haddo, and creator and co-host of the Mostly Lit podcast, Ray Rafiq. The theme of today's book club is siblings, and we'll be talking about three books that, in various ways, have brothers and sisters at their heart. They are A Spell of Winter by Helen Dunmore, the prize's very first winner back in 96, May We Be Forgiven by A.M. Holmes, which won in 2013, and The Glorious Heresies by Lisa McInerney, 2016's winner. So, Joe, Melissa, Ray, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Lovely to be here. So three books, you committed to reading three books in the space of what? Uh, how long did it take you guys? A month? Three weeks. Three, three books week- in three weeks, Three books maybe. in three weeks. Okay. You guys can be women's prize judges. <laughs> <laughs> you know they read like 125 books or something in oh the space goodness. of a few months. Super cool. Yeah, that blew me away from the first series wow. when people were like, oh yeah, I just read everywhere all the time. Giving birth, reading, going to work, reading, <laughs> yeah. getting on a tube, reading. And audiobooks are great because you can like just listen to them sometimes. Did you listen to the audiobook versions did, of this I one? did uh, May We Be Forgiven, just in the shower, oh. know, listening and then going back to the book and then alternating, just making sure that I'm reading. <laughs> yeah. What about the? What about you guys, Joe and Melissa? Any audiobooks or just No, paper? I did all three as books, as texts. I carted them around. Yeah, me too. I was on the train a lot. Um over the last couple of weeks so it's perfect because mm. you can never get any wi-fi on right. trains and it was the perfect excuse yeah tra- trains are the new planes yeah, yeah. and also I, I swear it, got, it was it's actually a really good excuse to when you don't want to do something you go i'm so sorry i'm doing a very important taking part in a very important uh, podcast and i must read my books that's what um, we like to hear yeah. <laughs> but people are like wow you're really being very committed to reading and, it, and actually quite a few people said that's reminded me i'm gonna make some time to read again People are very impressed nowadays when you say you're reading books. I don't know why, because we used to do it all the time. I used to, I'm, I'm trying to do a book a week. So for like podcasts or just in general, I always think Monday, start a new book. So that always gives me that motivation to be like, Sunday evening, have to have finished it. What, but what if it's really long? Like, you know, so 900 I, pages yeah, long. Yeah, um, I was reading A Little Life and that took me three and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, That's impressive still. That that was, but it was humongous and very emotional, and I just was so 
like involved in reading that book that like, took over my life. But it did. Yeah, it was quite a big one. So it took. It was worth worth it though, right? As in, it's the probably one of the best books I've read in the past few months. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, I'm curious to know what you guys made of these three books, because I think some of you said you had favorites among them, <laughs> even though I don't know if we should be playing favorites, because obviously they all won the prize. So they're all pretty fantastic. They're all brilliant books. You, you, you already know, don't you, from reading uh, the first few pages of each of these, or certainly I did, that they're great writers and you can tell why they probably won this prize. But for me, there was definitely one and maybe it's a, it's a personal taste thing. There was one that I just absolutely loved and two that I just thought were really great books. Mm. Okay. Shall, wait, shall we do the thing where we all say the favourite book the big at the same time? The yeah. Big oh. Okay, right. Okay. I'm, I'm going to sit, this, I'm gonna sit oh, this one God. out because okay. I'll count you in. One, two, three. The Glorious Heresies. <laughs> okay, so Interesting. Melissa and Ray yeah. both like The Glorious Heresies. And Joe, your favourite was... May We Be Forgiven. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm. Okay, shall we take them one by one first? Mm, so let's yeah. go Let's go with the OG winner, A Spell of Winter by Helen Dunmore. So this won in 1996. It was the inaugural winner of the prize. And it's a very creepy gothic, isn't it? It's quite different to the other two. It is. Actually, just even you describing it makes my... I, I had a little shiver because I felt quite shivery the whole time mm. I was reading it. Um good time to be reading it I think in in this particular month um, and I found it incredibly moving especially towards the end it, it it's sort of slow slow to begin and very evocative and I it's the turn of the century and I loved reading uh, I guess because I'm greedy it, I felt I loved hearing about you know the old sweets and the peppermints and the sherbets and the lemonades and then potted rabbit and then beef tea and mm. you know stopping for sandwiches and I just felt totally there in that world. Okay well I think for readers who might be a bit curious about what the actual book is about I think is it fair to say it's about two siblings who have been abandoned by their parents and are kind of growing up in this creepy manner um, and they are they're sort of like approaching the the beginning of World War One. That's when the big rupture happens and loads of drama erupts as a result of that. But it's also slightly incestuous as well. They find comfort in each they, other. Yeah. Oh yeah. When that scene happens, I was like, because I didn't read the blurb or anything, right. so I was like, okay, what's happening here? And then they were in that ice hut, and I, they just turned, and I was like, what? Why do I have to read that again? But yeah, I, I said slightly incestuous. It is just incestuous. <laughs> <laughs> I had to read it again. I couldn't believe it. And I, I just remember being like, what? You can't see me, but I just turned around and gasped. <laughs> but you don't, I don't think you see that coming, though, do you? I mean, maybe maybe if you went back and read some of the pages before it or some of the chapters before it, she's carefully put some breadcrumbs to it. But actually, I just thought, you know, they're, they're sort of bonded. This sibling bond is is because of the fact their parents have been abandoned they live with their Grandma. grandfather of the the t thinking of the time that it's set and everything i was just like you know they are they are their best yeah. friends if you and know it like. was and it's rural so you know they only have the servants mm. and they they're just by themselves yeah. just two kids trying to work it out i got weirded out because i was like after a while it became normal in my head and i was like oh yeah. i guess it's fine <laughs> you know and then i just had to check myself like oh it, oh i don't know it's unsettling but they love each other very but it's that, I think that comes with that. That's what um, Helen Dunmore is is trying to do with with the whole book is is this sense of 
usual versus unusual, wild versus mm-hmm. being, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reference to the wildness of Kathy, who is yeah. the, one of the main characters in the book. Notoriously wild Kathys. Notoriously wild Kathys. <laughs> I mean, there, there are two I can think of straight away. Um, and then, and yet, and the wildness of, of what's about to happen in the country, I guess, and around the world. But then this, this sort of connection with the land and just each other. It's, and I think she sort of plays with that and wants you to f- almost have to check yourself that you're thinking, oh, no, this is okay now, yeah. actually. It's yeah. these, we've learnt these two characters are okay. Yeah. So this is fine. And then you step back and you kind of go... There were certain bits where I just had to put the book away and like go and make a cup of tea <laughs> because I found it so incredibly sad. And these were uh, parts of the book that were only maybe written over two pages, but were mm. so powerful and moving and deeply sad. Um, and I felt the loneliness and helplessness yeah. of the situations. And I cried a lot. So I really, I mean, I'm a sucker for a pure drama. And this was my wildest dreams in a book. Um, I think I absolutely loved the tone. Um, And the way it sets up is almost quite eerie. The beginning is very dark and I felt cold reading the whole novel. I just thought I'm in a cottage somewhere in the north. I don't know where, but I'm cold and I'm freezing and all of this drama is taking place. Um, And it really took me back to when I was reading Tess of the D'Urbervilles. It really took me back to that. But this just had so much drama and I was like I really had to go back and think when was this written because I was like oh this is a little bit unacceptable for the time um for us to to read it but then I was like 1996 I'm like was it wild in 1996 (laughs) do they have crazy you know notions and ideas and I was like they probably did um and I, I absolutely loved it I thought it really balanced the crazy with the subtle the relationships between families and um how it feels like to be abandoned by a mother it dealt with that really well but not just in this book but i think in all the books as well Mm. just dealt with that motherhood aspect quite nicely and you know what got me as well i remember that feeling when um i don't know if anyone else had this but remember when like there were certain adults that you were really scared of you know, mm-hmm. and there's quite a few of them that are just wrongins in the book. <laughs> yeah. and, That's uh, one way of putting it. Yeah, and th- that feeling of being left in the room with them, or having to go to their house, yeah. or you know, or just like a teacher that you think's got it in for you, or yeah. you know, just not, or, or, or a pupil, and that feeling of like you, you're a kid, you're helpless, you can't go anywhere, you mm. can't really stand up for yourself. And there's that. Yeah, I felt cold, like we said, yeah. and small quite a lot of the time, like the helplessness. Yeah. So, but. I'm curious to know why this wasn't your favorite, considering. Oh, so it wasn't, I mean, it was a, a really close one. But I guess when we get to the Glorious Heresies, I'll, I'll go into it much more. I thought the book Spell of Winter is, is, was beautifully written. I just mm. think, it, you know, I've read other Helen Dunmore books. This one I hadn't read, but she is a beautiful writer and the descriptions and everything were wonderful. And that's what I sort of luxuriated in. But the whole thing really of just going oh god you know like i i need to put the book down for a bit and walk away is is possibly why it wasn't my favorite because i think i couldn't i couldn't read it in long spells i had to mm. sort of do Did a you few chapters spell? Oh! <laughs> it's in there uh i did a few cha- i had to do a few chapters and then just sort of warm up go away and yeah. warm up yeah, yeah warm go up. And sit by the fire uh i thought it was absolutely beautiful and then I feel like the it started off very much about, you know, there's probably eight characters really just to begin with for the first half of the book. And then it opens up as you see the impact as the 
um, as conscription comes in and um, people are saying you can't take you know all my sons and it just gets so incredibly sad and people start leaving and leaving and they're running out of money and they're running out of food and they're putting wood chips and jam to be like strawberries and you just mm. start feeling sadder and sadder and I think it is fantastic always to have serious moments in history be within novels so that you're constantly reminded what has happened yeah. and how lucky we yeah. are mm. um, and I thought they did that beautifully because it, it the, the love story was enough really for me I thought it was amazing and then the fact that it brought in history in a really digestible way so before we move on to the next book let's hear from Kate Moss founder director of the women's prize for fiction and the chair of the judging panel in the first year the prize was awarded she tells us about setting up the award and its first winner, A Spell of Winter by Helen Dunmore. The very first moment was a Booker Prize uh, in 1991 where there were no women on the list at all. And that can happen because, you know, the judges are allowed to choose the books that make the hair on the back of their neck stand on end. But the point was nobody noticed there were no women, only when it was announced to the press. And so a lot of us got together, writers, journalists, booksellers, publishers, men and women, and said, is there something wrong that people don't, just don't see the women are absent. And out of that came an idea to set up a prize that would honour and celebrate women's creative voices. And then we went about getting money. And now we're about to celebrate our 25th birthday. It seems amazing. How was it received when the prize was first announced? Oh, I have often thought, thank God there was no social media then. It was pretty brutal. It was, it was a really, I'm a very positive person, and I honestly thought that absolutely everybody who loved books and reading would be like a Bruegel painting. They'll be throwing their hats in the air, going, this is amazing, a, a, a private company putting all this money um, into books. But actually, people behaved as if uh, men were under attack, as, uh, you know, said a lot of things like, if women were any good, they'd win the prizes. You know, all the stuff that we now know. And there wasn't really much of a feminist debate in those days. Uh, you know, things have changed a great deal in terms of uh, diversity and representation and the dialogues around it. But then it was like, well, women are clearly rubbish, otherwise their books would win. And we were going, you know what, we're just going to look into this. And all the time people kept saying to me, so you're really angry, Kate. I said, I'm not angry, I, but I am curious. And I want to say to readers that if women's voices are not there, they don't hear about women's voices, it's the readers who are missing out. And the world is made up of all of us, and we should hear all... You know, so it, it was pretty brutal. But then after the first um, uh, shortlist was announced and people saw the quality of the books on the list and they started to think, hey, actually, do you know, we hadn't heard of some of those. Then people started to realise that maybe there was an issue, not about women getting published, but about women's work being honoured at the highest level. Because when I was setting the prize up, fewer than 9% of novels ever shortlisted for literary, major literary prizes were by women, even though about 65% of novels published were published by women. So it wasn't access to the market that was the issue, it was about honouring women's achievements. And 25 years later, we're going strong. And what about the first winner of the prize, Helen Dunmore? What can you tell me about her? Helen Dunmore, who um, died a couple of years ago, sadly, um, also served as a judge on a judging panel for us, was the most beautiful writer, incredible novelist, uh, superb poet as well. Had that, um, that amazing ability, which I do not have. I write big old, you know, commercial adventure stories. But that incredible thing, she could summon up a whole period of time, a whole person, a whole place, just in the way that she would describe somebody doing a pearl button on a glove. And, you, you know, she, she was that sort of exquisite writer. And she was our very first winner. 
and uh, for a beautiful novel called A Spell in Winter, which is set at the beginning of the last century. Uh, two siblings in a house. It's not entirely clear what the relationship is between them or what is going on within the house, but it's one of those absolute lyrical, haunting novels that stay with you long after. And she was, if you like, a quiet writer. And what I mean by that, it's not flashbang wallop fireworks type type of book, this beautiful, spare, elegant prose. Um, and Helen was absolutely wonderful on the very first um, uh, award ceremony. Um, it was just so weird. So many of the journalists asked her about what she was going to do with the money. And you just said, you know, it was very odd that nobody wanted to ask her about the work. It, it immediately was turned into that sort of narrative of, oh, you know, well done, dear. You know, all of this sort of you thing. Won the lottery you now. won the lottery and what are you going to spend your money on? You know, this sort of thing. And Juliet Stevenson was the person who presented um, uh, Helen with her award. And she came up with this beautiful thing that sums it all up for me. And she said, you know, the thing is, sometimes there's a door is shut to you and you're not going to get through that door. So do you know what? Just go round the side. And I thought that summed up the spirit of the prize. Um, so it was a beautiful winner, A Spell of Winter. Um, and I think it set the tone for the prize, which is you can rely on the women's prize. You can rely on it, the work being excellent, elegant, gripping, beautiful, the best writing in the world. So I want to move on to the second book, which won the prize in 2013, May We Be Forgiven AM by AM Holmes. And Joe, you said this was your favourite. Oh, absolutely. I loved it. What did you love about it? Um, I loved that. I love the subtle humour of this book, which which is there from pretty much page one and doesn't leave it. Um, I I tend to to love American novels and American novelists. I, I'm sort of drawn to to that sort of literature old or new um i love reading about los angeles although this isn't la doesn't really play a, a main character in this book but that is where it's set um and we, we you know we, we're talking about siblings these books are connected through siblings and family um the two brothers in this novel are harry and george they are awful you know they're just all i, I didn't terrible like, people they're terrible people and i didn't really like any of the i can't think of a character i really liked in the book and yet I loved reading them and I think that's the key for me A.M. Um, Holmes's writing is just superb and the way she has chosen to talk about grief which I think essentially is the the main point of this novel and the thing I took away from it is just so original and I was surprised it was written in 2013 actually I, I thought it could have been written last year you know it just feels fresh and new and contemporary um, I found it quite difficult to attach to the characters mainly because I didn't like them so much. Right. Um, and I was like, oh God, you're awful, Harry. Like, what are you doing? And I think when I got back to understanding, actually, you've kind of lost a few people. So that made me, like, almost like how he was dealing with um, his niece and nephew. That kind of brought in that redeeming factor in him and so it was always a, uh, pushing the reader away by how absolutely rubbish you are and then helping a little girl take out a tampon from her bum and that was just the <laughs> cutest <laughs> part of the novel for me I was like oh this is just absolutely amazing and and the humor in it was great because he, even in that moment he said something like oh I, I think I might even go to prison for this and I'm like 
oh, you actually could. <laughs> but but you're not because you're actually doing something really nice. So I think the humor was phenomenal. Um, the character's rubbish. <laughs> um, especially <laughs> Harry's wife. I was like, you're mean, but then your husband's mean. So you're all just mean. Um, yeah, it, I, I enjoyed it, but I think the other two like right. t- tugged at my heart it's, a little bit. I think it's one of the o- the ultimate conundrums for an author, right? Yeah. Like how do you, how unlikable do you make your character mm. or how likable? Because even if, if they're too likable, then they just become, you know, yeah, rubbish yeah. and like one dimensional. Yeah. Um, or Mary Sue's, you call it on the internet. Oh, but, oh God, she wrote, I thought she wrote men really well. And I was like, oh wow, like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you did really well. The relation- Not to say that men are rubbish, but yeah. The relationship Summer. between, <laughs> yeah, well true. Um, <laughs> the relationship between the two brothers though was interesting because, you know, it's the, I feel like, well, and I, I can't, I've got an older brother, but you know, I don't have any sisters. I feel like when you have a sibling and they're, you have the same gender, there's a different dynamic. Mm. I don't, I, wait, who's got sibling of the same, everyone? Oh. Of the same gender, yeah. yeah. No, so I, don't, I, don't, Mel- I yeah. don't have a brother. So Melissa and Ray. Yeah. Is, is that, am I just projecting? It's hard to know because you don't know it the other way. Yeah. So I've got both. Oh, you've got both. And I do get along with my brothers much more than my sister. Ah. Um, yeah, me and my sister were like cat and mouse. Love her, but God, she's annoying sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I love also the way that um, uh, I, I love the exploration of grief and something that I find myself talking a lot to. I think we're, guess we're coming to an age where our parents are getting a bit older and, you know, people are getting sick. And I find myself talking a, a lot about grief. I actually went on a grief course for a whole week. No, and it was about grief healing and I had done that because my dad had died five years earlier but actually a lot of people there were there to talk about grief of all kinds so mm. grief of loss of self uh, empty nest syndrome grief when, you're, when your kids leave to go to uni whatever grief loss of career grief of all sorts and um, I thought that was really interesting and I found it um, amazing because a lot of it comes as I learned my course, mm-hmm. um, from the way we deal with our grief is a lot of it is how we were brought up and our the the um, chance or not chance we've ever had to express ourselves and the things that happened to us as a kid, particularly between siblings, because they seem to be one of our strongest relationships, whether we got on or not, because mm-hmm. you've got our parents, but they're slightly unobtainable because they're your parents and they're grown-ups, but then it's your sibling relationships. So I found that really interesting. And I love the bit, especially the grief and then the therapy side because I've had a lot of therapy when the when when George's therapist says to Harry starts asking Harry loads of questions (laughs) do you remember this bit and Harry's like yeah he was horrible he's a violent bully he used to throw stones at people's heads and the therapist is like well that's your opinion you know yeah. he's like, no, no, but he did yeah. and he's like well that's sh- maybe he had bad aim <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's the way you remembered it so i i yeah i laughed a lot and i really enjoyed it i think i enjoyed the beginning more i found the start of it just so i remember like going oh like oh i'm gonna get so into this um but then maybe because like we've said they sort of became grosser and grosser. Everyone became grosser mm. and grosser. I just started getting annoyed with them. Or maybe it's the fact that I just wanted to help them and go, stop, don't, don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. You're just going to get, you're going to make life harder for yourself. Why are you doing that? I couldn't stop them. I couldn't help them. Yeah. You can't help people, yeah. especially if they're not real. <laughs> so you might have touched on something, the reason why maybe I love this over, say, we're talking about the Helen Dunwall book, in that I don't have a, I don't have a brother and therefore I can read these characters in this relationship having 
not being able to relate it to anything so i don't need to worry whereas i do have a sister and so reading the spell of winter right. is a bit like you know that that throws yeah. various things in but what i will say about this book maybe be forgiven if i may is that for all its for all the nastiness of the characters and the and the, the, there aren't really that many redeeming features from them there is a sort of warm optimism about the book i think because of you know what harry has to end up doing in terms of looking after children mm. and the way that he does slightly change if and, and the way that he approaches you know actually being caring um i you mentioned claire which is which is his his wife yep. uh and i just thought that was uh, it's it's claire and and jane actually who we don't really hear that much from she's at the very beginning of the book are, are not are not great women they're not great characters then no one in this book is sort of painted in a good light at all but for me it was it was all about the writing i think and and i i know that what you're saying about the beginning as well melissa because i was so drawn in the first 50 pages six yeah. pages just like unstoppable um but i i sort of it, it took me all the way through and i i was so so thrilled to have read it mm, mm. i think that's a very strong argument for that book i think I, you, can't, you couldn't ask for a better form of praise to be honest yeah. Yeah. i mean it's no surprise really because i think i did did some research into A.M. Holmes and now she's writing for TV as well. And I think you can tell that in the dialogue. It's very zingy. That's going to be a it's show. It's zippy. Yeah, it's I mean, not, it's, it's a show. It's, it's a show. It is a show. Oh, wait, no, I don't think it's a show yet. Should we put our money together and buy yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> we could make this, guys. <laughs> yeah, Yo, you're right. The dialogue's fantastic. Yeah. It's so it's it's so perfectly pitched, I think. And that that humour and when when they're at the um, the, the wake... Uh, Shiva and some of the Jewish lines that come out and everything in it. I just, I just think they're so, it's so well pitched. I was, I was laughing out loud a lot. Yeah, this yeah. Book. I agree. I think my favourite part was when um, he goes to meet this woman for lunch slash, uh, not not just lunch with, um, <laughs> and then his kid, like the woman's kids, are there. And they hang, like, handcuff him, and they end up having this amazing dialogue where yeah. he's essentially like therapizing them, telling them how to deal with their parents who are just, you know, really just not there for them. At the same time, he's got handcuffs, and then he's like, "Oh, can I use your toilet?" It, I thought and it was they feed like, him. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I literally thought it was. I just remember being like, "What is going on here?" But it was absolutely brilliant. I and, think. I think also what was nice about it was reading a book where the man had to take on that nurturing role yeah. of adopting yes. someone else's children and just having to figure stuff out. Yeah. Like the pasta lasting forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Jane's yeah. spaghetti sauce. Or, or just the... But also what I really loved, maybe it's because I've got a dog, but I love how the dog Tessie kept appearing and, you know, oh, Tessie's got diarrhea and she's upset or the Tessie, you know, the dog would comfort the kids and how just things would move into place in that way um but you know back to the when he gets sort of kidnapped by the kids yeah and uh, um the kids say to him well you know and they're talking about how they basically feel abandoned they're like M our mum's entirely electronic mm. and that feeling of actually you know i don't have kids yet but the you know everybody is on their phone breaking up they're divorcing on the phone they're they're sexting, sexting. <laughs> um you know it's photo for photo you know breast for genitals everything is just very transactional and mm. when they say our mum's entirely electronic it made me so sad yeah i think that's what 
you're you're indicating as well, Joe, when you said that you know this book feels like it could have been written last year or mm. this year. It feels very contemporary. It does, and also um, it's it's not a main. Well, it's not it's not a sort of huge plot point, but George, who is um, one of the brothers, it, it comes out in the book, doesn't it? That um, at work he's this TV exec before he goes mad, and um, there was cases of sexual harassment put towards him and having recently watched Bombshell uh, which is all about the Fox News the women at Fox News and that sexual harassment case against Roger Ailes then I was sort of reading it him like a bit of a Roger Ailes style character and of course none of that had actually happened happened at all before this was written so I think that's another reason why in my head it it feels so or or literature is just very prescient (laughs) (laughs) read books especially with the media aspect of this novel it was very much like oh, haven't you read? Haven't you seen? Mm. It's all over the, the news. And people would ask him, oh, are you, are you the brother that killed his wife? Because that's mm. probably what they've read. And he's like, no, it's not. And it's just understanding how media works, knowing the truth and seeing how it's portrayed elsewhere. And it's, that, I think that was very like mm. modern. It's a great argument for reading more women, as we're encouraging all people to do in the 25th <laughs> year anniversary of the prize. So if you are reading these books and you would like to interact with these conversations if you disagree with us and want to shout us down please use the hashtag reading women and we can choose to talk to you if we like (laughs) before we go on to our third and final book here's miranda richardson chair of judges in 2013 on may we be forgiven by am holmes this book kind of shone through and it settled and it revealed itself again and this was the one I thought I'm actually really happy to read this again and I'm going to recommend it to my friends it's modern it's forward thinking I think and it's about important things like family like the possibility of change like the possibility of forgiveness And one of the things about this book is the fragmentary nature of the life we're living now and saying, if you connect, if you hang on to, like Harry does, tries to, those elements, to hang on to family, you know, in its proper form, that'll win through. You'll be okay. We will be okay. I think it's very important. This podcast is made in partnership with Bailey's Irish Cream. Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Bailey's is the perfect adult treat, whether in coffee, over ice cream or paired with your favourite book. So we're coming on to now our final book, The Glorious Heresies. Uh, and this was your fa- both your favourites, Melissa and Ray. OK, tell us about this one. I feel like you could talk for, about this one for ages. I could ages. talk about this book for ages because I just, I didn't expect to enjoy it so much. And it's been a very long time a book has wowed me or changed my mind. Um, so I guess I, I liked it because I don't even know how I would describe or give a synopsis about it. It's um, Have a go. You said you love Maureen. I love Maureen. <laughs> so it's a novel about Ireland and um, I guess I would say working class people and how their lives intertwine and it starts with the death of um is it not tony robbie 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 o'donovan um and an old woman called maureen um kills him because he you know intrudes into her property and that just goes into this whirlwind of events all surrounding this killing but at the end of it it really 
wasn't about him at all. It was just about lives and about mothers giving up children and about family structures and about, you know, what it, what drinking looks like and how that affects children and, you know, how a parent, what a parent does affects their child, especially with regards to um, Ryan and his dad and his drinking, how it affects him and the love that he feels, which gets him into the arms of Tara, who I hate um and yeah it's just i thought it was just absolutely magical and in the end it was almost this healing this mum figure being like i'm going to take care of you if the church can't do it i will and i was like god i love you <laughs> <laughs> that's my splurge I, I thought it was absolutely amazing melissa oh you, you just hit the nail <laughs> on the head actually when you said you know the end i didn't want it to i really didn't want it to finish no, yeah. i was so disappointed I wanted to see what what's going to be the next chapter with with Maureen and Ryan yeah <laughs> um I also thought that um uh I loved the love story I loved Between remembering Corrine. I was loved remembering just... like what it felt like to have your first like love, love and what kiss you know ki- what kissing for hours felt like yeah. you know they, they kiss for like six hours yeah. straight and they talk about it and what it feels like and the melting into each other and like any chance they can get and pushing beds against doors and um finding solace in each other because ryan's you know got his fi- five brothers and sisters yeah. their mums died the dad's a violent alcoholic he's giving up the piano oh the piano yeah. there's a lovely God. yeah the lovely subplot about him learning to play piano yeah, yeah. and then um uh coming out of his young offenders the prison yeah. and you know in, in it it's quite interesting isn't it he says when he finds the library and he goes I'm just going to read the whole time and get really clever and then he gets <laughs> sick of reading and he just wants to get out and start his new life and that hurt when he gets out and life is not how he expected mm. to find it then I found um I found it very interesting the loomingness of the Catholic Church. My mum's Filipino. She's very she's very Catholic. She's as Catholic as you can be. All Catholics are very Catholic. But um, what's really interesting is how she the the, the murder weapon is the relic, mm-hmm. and then um, <clears throat> one of the clues as to where Robbie has died is a, another religious relic. And the idea of, as you said, the mums giving up their babies and a bit that I found, I mean, I laughed at, but it's actually very sad. Maureen says, I think it's Maureen, she talks about her fear of the Holy Trinity and she calls it, uh, which is normally Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And she talks about uh, the priests, the nuns and the (laughs) neighbours. That is is a very good kind of phrase. um, Yeah, and the the, the kind of the idea that, um, you know, Tara, the evil neighbour, it feels very, um, and the fact that the the broth, you know, the brothel's now the resident, you feel like you're actually within a couple of streets the whole time and you don't really ever get to escape it and you can just feel everything and you can smell things and everyone can hear what's going on next door and everyone's loud and all the arguments and the gossip. Um, and then the the effect that the church has on how on people's morality and then you know murderers feeling bad about things and then trying to cover it up or or, and salvation there's a lot of people trying to help each other and actually a lot of the time that's what then has spiraled into things getting found out where not more people have to get murdered or try to Anyway, I have to confess, I sort of love novels that include religion and even when religion is portrayed in a bad way, because I always feel like that little 
dash of religion just makes it you know there's a chance for transcendence with this novel you know people can talk about important things like souls and you know loss and love and it just lifts everything mm. although i have to confess i had to google what a holy stone was <laughs> and actually the internet is not very forthcoming on it because now there's a very famous drone named holy stone oh really yeah so i feel like your mum would not approve of this melissa <laughs> no she probably wouldn't at all <laughs> joe what did you think of the book well, I really enjoyed it. I think for me it was um, more about the writing and the voice um, that I that I loved the most. Uh, I didn't get into it straight away either, and I and I th- I think that's partly because of the style of it. But then once I'd got this sort of Irish lilt mm. and this this rhythm that she creates, that Lisa McEnany re- recreates, uh, recreates. It's it's just so. So um, hypnotic, actually. Um, what I loved was that sort of fizzing anger that she puts th- through the pages, which which obviously all the characters are feeling in some way. Uh, the piano, which you mentioned, I loved as a as a very small little backdrop to you know something so beautiful and arguably so unworking. Class is something that mm. these characters keep want. There's there's a there's a want. There's a there's a need to learn it to play it to want to have that in their lives um and then yeah just just as a sort of snapshot of ireland and irish culture and Mm. and the language i just i loved it you know that that sweary fizzing sort of Mm. prose did you read it in an irish accent i did (laughs) yeah i I definitely uh, at the beginning you know i I was a bit oh you disjointed and then absolutely i i got into this sort of way and i couldn't i couldn't stop myself reading it there is an amazing wave of irish women writers now isn't there like ema mcbride uh well anna burns although she's been going for ages um, and for some reason, all their books, I just read it with an Irish accent in my head. Yeah. And it's not even the correct accent because my idea of the Irish accent comes from Derry Girls, which is completely geographically <laughs> absolutely wrong. So, you know, I just find it just helps so much more when you're reading it in that tone. But when I heard Anna Burns read from Milkman, it, having read the book, it made so much more sense to me. It, I don't, it did something, you know, where I could suddenly understand it or I felt like it, it, it really hit the spot more hearing her read it like that because, yes, I'd, I'd done it in a sort of Northern Irish Cod accent Irish in my head because it, that's how it's written. But hearing her actually speak the words, it was like, wow, OK, yeah, I get it. So in in that instance, we were talking about whether we read the actual books or audio books. I'd, I'd quite like to listen to, oh, be the Mil- to Milkman because I think that would actually bring a whole new... Yeah level to it yeah it's interesting because i don't read you know books by american authors in an american accent in my head (laughs) yeah so i wonder what it i think it is just something about irish literature where they nail the cadence or the rhythm of the way people speak in that country and and the turn of phrase and you know crack you know you're being you're not being whatever crack you know what do they say about crack he's got great he's got great great crack crack. yeah Yeah. and and um those i thought she had such (laughs) amazing turn of phrases you know like oh that's so that's such a good one and you know I, th- I was thinking of some of my Irish friends and I was thinking oh they're, they're so yeah. lyrical and beautiful and funny and 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 great I thought it was profoundly like intellectual in that the way that they dissected society through a very small community there was one part that I really enjoyed um, where I think it was um, Georgie and Ryan talking about the different factions of women, whether you're a whore, whether you're a mammy, whether you, oh God, 
like there, I think there was like four categories and and it was very much like you do the role that you that society or you know the community bestows upon you and if you come out of it there'll be issues and so you have to stick to that role and every time Georgie would want you know she went to that Christian cult which they called it and she'd come back and I'd, I'd, I'll get better and she goes back to doing exactly what she knows when Ryan goes into prison there isn't that rehabilitation because mm. you know he promises Kareen that you know he'll go back to school and of course you know at the back of your head that it's not going to happen because that's just the way society is and I think it very much reflected I guess not just Ireland but any sort of working class in a city whether it's inner city London and various corners of um you know the Midlands or it I think it was that for me it was done so beautifully it was like how small interactions between two people can reflect upon the whole society it was marvelous and I think it's a sign of a really good author when you can raise these kinds of issues without it ever feeling like, oh, kids, it's time to sit down and learn about the prison industrial complex. Yes, yeah. It's time to sit down and learn about how bad the Catholic Church was. <laughs> it comes off so naturally that you just end up, you know, well, not you don't have to agree, but you just end up thinking, oh, yeah, she does have a point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here's our final judge for today's Reading Women episode. This is Margaret Mountford, Chair of Judges in 2016, on The Glorious Heresies by Lisa McInerney. She tells us why it was a worthy winner. We had a strong shortlist in 2016, and after an impassioned discussion, we selected Lisa McInerney's The Glorious Heresies because we thought it was original, it was vibrant, it was pacey, and it had a lot of Irish black humour in it that personally I love. One of the book's strengths uh, was the author's ability to create credible characters um, and make you feel empathy for characters who at first sight not seem very appealing at all. Um, We had a prostitute, we had a drug addict, we had the mother of the top criminal in Cork and so on, and yet you felt for all these characters, you were interested in them and and you felt sympathy for them because you realised, well, it wasn't really their fault that they ended up where they did. So these books were published respectively in 96, 2013 and 2016. So how do you think they sit within the context of when they were written? Do you think they still feel relevant today? We talked about May We Be Forgiven feeling very contemporary, but I'm curious to know what you guys feel about A Spell of Winter and Glorious Heresies. I think if if you're thinking of Helen Dunmore as a writer and look at a book like Exposure or something, I think that book, all, although it's historical fiction as well, it's it felt m- more contemporary, but May We Be Forgiven and The Glorious Heresies are absolutely very relevant, contemporary, and I think will be read in years to come. Ray? I absolutely agree. I have nothing more to add. You just <laughs> said it. I yeah. How, what do you think, Melissa? I think you just nailed it. Yeah. I, I, I actually now, just sitting and digesting with you all, I, I would love to reread them again. And I... I feel that I've, I felt a lot for all three of them and I um you know we had to, to read them quite quickly I quite like to have a bit more time to read and then digest but um I'd like to read A.M. Holmes again maybe forgiven after we've just talked that through and mm. see if I can get over how mm. annoying they were <laughs> at times I think I'm going to give that another chance quite soon some people can't get over horrible characters though you know I think there's a lot of people can't read Jonathan Franzen or something because yeah. 
because he writes such awful, awful people, people and they, <laughs> there's no there's no redemption so it's like well why would I invest mm. then but if you can get over it in the, for, for the AM Homes then I think you mm. know I would I could recommend any of these books yeah, and true. I would yes. to, to certain people you know there's there's people I know would love one over the other yeah. did any of them change the way you think about you know any kind of issues I feel like the glorious heresies really brought home to me the issue of the modern laundries um, the sexism against women in Ireland in a way that I think just reading about it in newspapers doesn't quite cut it what do you think? Um, I, I agree, but I think it also made me... I mean, I was already quite compassionate with regards to women in these circumstances. Um, but I think the aspect of rehabilitation for me was something that was very important and it really struck home is um, how do you get the right people to help people? Um, and I think those personal relationships for me was very important. Joe, did any of the books make you change your mind about anything? Um, not, I don't, I don't think so, no, actually. I don't think any one changed my mind about anything. I, I think the A.M. Holmes, if I could go back to it again, maybe, maybe be forgiven, reinforced my slight hatred of um, mobile phones and technology and social media and, <laughs> <laughs> and how they are they're becoming so ingrained in in our lives but what it did make me do is think oh these these children that, that are featured in the book who've suffered great loss are escaping their lives through technology and actually that made me think about about it differently because usually whenever I someone bumps into me in the street and they're looking at the fo- their phone I just think you, you know just <laughs> get angry. But instead I, I it's made me think well you never know maybe yeah. maybe this is a way to get, you know, using it to get away from whatever's happening in their own yeah. lives. Mm. I feel like I feel that way about Instagram, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Melissa? Um, I I love the I love the parent versus child in in um, May We Be Forgiven. When I think it's Harry says something like, "We were never given any choices when we were kids. We just had to get on with it, and you ate, and you dressed." And then there's a point in May We Be Forgiven where I think Harry's like driving back to the house and he and he says to his new family unit that he's in charge of now and he's like, I'm going to talk, I promise to talk to them. I'm, I can't really remember, but something like, I'm going to commit to talking to them like they're real people. <laughs> and uh, I've just, I think that's a, a, a really good one from, from all three really, how how real people kids are and how much they absorb and how they need to be explained. Like nobody ever explained to, um, in Spell of Winter, Kathy and Robert, whether they were told their father was a you know a lunatic, but mm. actually he was probably having a nervous breakdown because the mum left and where is mum? And she was never spoken about. So I think that, that it's, it's always interesting hearing what we think we can just whisper or talk about in front of mm. kids or not tell them and how what the impact that has. The sins of the parents. Yes. Well, I actually have good Humans. news. I actually have good news for the two of you who love the Glorious Heresies because there is a sequel. Oh, oh. yes. Someone <laughs> did tell me. Oh, I didn't know Someone that. Someone did tell it, me. I'm sourcing it very soon. <laughs> it is called The Blood Miracles and it came out in 2017. Oh, wow. So that's we an, just said that, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Because, so that's another one to put on your reading list. Oh, well, well, oh let's go. You're reading it. <laughs> Well, I think that's about all the time we've got for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We've had such an interesting, illuminating journey through these three books with you guys. I feel like you really kind of showed parts of the books I didn't 
see when I first read them. So thank you. And to anybody who's reading along, you can obviously get involved with the hashtag Reading Women. Uh, tweet us, talk to us, tell us what you think. We would love to know what you make of these three books. And thank you to our guests, Joe, Melissa and Ray. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Zing Zing, and you've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media. You definitely want to head to our website to find out more about the Reading Women Challenge, get exclusive video and audio content, and check out the hashtag Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter to join in the conversation around the 24 brilliant past winners of the Women's Prize for Fiction. Please click subscribe and don't forget to rate and review this podcast. It really helps spread the word about the female talent you've heard about today. Thanks very much for listening and see you next time.